Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Brave New Workforce, the podcast changing the way the world works. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. How about you, Larry? I'm doing okay, but not as well as Anna because I'm not in the Caribbean right now. But hey. It's very well, that's, hot that's... here, so I don't know. I'm kind of sweating bullets a little bit, suffering through this little interview we got going mm, on today. But um, I hear we have a very exciting guest, uh, Trip. You want to introduce him today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, but before we get to that, and I just want to say that this is actually one of the perks. You're 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 literally sitting on the beach in Costa Rica on your iPhone having this interview. So this is this is really this is this is living yeah, the life what, that we're talking what, about. What the audience didn't see the the 15 minutes of stress getting up to here because the place that we called prior was like, yeah, we'll be open by then, and they were not. And yeah. I was like, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I need it. Well, and, and, Double duty for not for potentially having to do it in a mask. Um, yeah. <laughs> so today I'm really excited about today's guest. I've known Rob Noble for a number of years. He's founder of Group of Humans, an interdisciplinary creative services team that curates some of the best creative talent around the world. It's a new kind of model and an alternative to the traditional creative agency. And they get and the benefit to customers is that they get to engage with some of the top people around the planet. The company's motto is Waste Not, which really informs almost everything that they do, uh, including how they work. Rob, welcome to Brave New Workforce. Lovely to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Rob, maybe you can start with telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, the humans, and how that got started, and the story behind Waste Not. Hopefully, I can do this in a succinct, succinct manner. Uh, it's been a 25-year career that's got me to today. So um, let me try and give you a snapshot. I started out in the 90s, you know, at the beginning of the internet and built a, um, a effectively an agency that built things in TCP IP, um, not just web browsers, uh, but anything that connected to the internet. And uh, we were very lucky. We became good at something called Flash when Flash was a thing, which is when I met Trip back in the Macromedia days. And... Um, you know, we were very lucky that we ended up working on software for Macromedia um, because we used that tool so well and so differently to our competitors. And I ended up, um, you know, selling my um, shares in that company and coming back to the UK from San Francisco and starting um, a product design company. I really enjoyed building software product. Um, and that led me Adobe with my first client with JK Rowling, um, the author, was my other client in that company. You know, I started out very early on the internet and built some of the first websites. I built J.K. Rowling's first website. You know, I worked on Manchester United's first website, um, among others, and um, put the first flash deployments on a mobile phone in Korea with Adobe, hand in hand. I worked on the first touch applications for Adobe. And then service design and sort of the process of understanding that um, methodology and helping um, corporate customers understand it, and then also learning about offshoring uh, within EPAM and, and engineering led me to the group of humans, really. You know, and in 2017, when I left EPAM and was looking at my next thing, the name group of humans was a domain I'd bought maybe in 2002 when I bought domain names for fun. Uh, and still do to this day, frankly, when I have a good one. There's not so many good ones available as there were back then. Um, but I, you know, still, when I have a good idea, I always want to make sure I've got something that can back it up. And I called about 15 people that I respected out there in the world, as Trip said, world leaders in their particular disciplines, in their different superpowers. And I had an idea, so I had an idea um, about building a, a distributed community of um, the world's best creative talent 
and trying to see if we could serve the corporate world in a better way than we've done historically. You know, we'd built our businesses previously on an old advertising model, the model that we've all used in the agency world to uh, engage clients from pitching to billing them in day rates and um, having this resource back at the studio that uh, maybe the corporate client had never met and and maybe would never meet. Um, and could we do it in a better way? And that was the beginning of, of the humans, really, was a series of conversations with people, I always say a lot smarter than me, that, that did really amazing things, whether it be physical, digital, strategy, coding, writing, storytelling, all those aspects that make up what a business is today. Well, and that's... It's really interesting because you were, you know, they, they say it's, it's almost become common to say that all products are now services because of all of that multi-touch point thinking. And it requires a lot of different creative minds with a lot of different, I mean, it's, 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 you're building a cathedral. There's so many people that need to be involved to make that, that thing great or that, that brand experience or that product experience great. That was quite a bit ahead of its time yeah i think i think we were we were covid proof before covid you know exactly exactly so tell us a little bit about that extra part the the waste not what does that mean uh to the humans and to you well so um back in december of 2018 um i brought six humans together um from london from the west coast east coast um brand experts people who told stories to you know some of the biggest brands in the world for their career and and had them think about what our purpose might be. And so we spent three days um, uh, locked in a hotel in Brooklyn and um, came up with the, this concept of waste not, waste not your time, waste not mine, waste not the planet. And waste not can be interpreted in different ways. The humans use it in different ways. You know, they don't want to spend um, time with people that, that don't imp- in, in educate them and bring them forward in their careers. They don't want to work on programs that don't make the world better than it was yesterday. They don't want to um, provide services to clients with unnecessary overhead. You know, So we, we talk about solving problems with the smallest amount of humans, not who's available on the bench or who hasn't been billed yet this month or utilized. Um, we think about it in terms of solutioning and who are the least amount of people to solve the most complex problems. And, and waste not can be, just those two words can be taken on by the humans in different ways. It's up to them how they interpret it. But we thought it just suited perfectly the world we're in. And, you know, as we move forward and what's happening this year, I think it's really become, you know, um, something that we stand behind. You know, I, I'd love to hear you say that because, I mean, one of the things I've been talking about with my clients is, being able to move into a model where you work with the people you'd actually like to work with (laughs) instead of the people you're forced to work with, uh, which is kind of refreshing because I think the old corporate model is you get who you get. You join a company and you join a team and who you're partnered with and who you have to collaborate with is really kind of decided by everyone else, not yourself. And the idea of having a flexible organization where you can put people together the right way instead of like you said whoever's on the bench or whoever happens to sit in the same floor that's kind of refreshing yeah i think it's been you know from a chemistry point of view with the client it was always a problem that i found frustrating you know as my companies got bigger previously 
I got further and further away because people were in a role to decide who worked on their programs than being the decider. You know, at the beginning, it's a lot easier when you're a founder. You know, you can say, I need Larry, Tripp and Anna on that particular program and, and it will happen. But as you get bigger and there's multiple corporate clients you're working with and you've got a team of 100 or 180, 200, as I've had, um, you know, the production director is responsible for determining who works on that. And unfortunately, the metrics that they work to uh, again, come from the advertising world, the idea that people need to be utilized, they need to be profitable, and they try and use the economics of the agency to decide who's going to work on that program. Obviously, they have to have a skill uh, and an ability, but it's very different in the humans. You know, we surface a problem often in a synopsis, and the humans, maybe 25 or 30, will hive around it, and they'll make for our natural selection the right decision, who's the best people to work on that program, and can we do it with the least amount of people possible? You know, we've got we've got T-shaped people across the board in the humans, people who really understand quite broadly and quite deeply um, the discipline of, of design. Um, but also, you know, they've got superpowers. They know their particular thing that they're really, really good at, that Rizzler thing, that Rizzler thin thing that they're really, really good at, whether it be storytelling or brand or code or whatever it might be. And I think that was a... It's a nice surprise for me when I was putting this together. You know, it's it's been an ongoing experiment. You know, how how will they select themselves? Do I need a production director? Do I need a traffic manager to determine who's going to work on that? And the answer's been no. You know, we've had the the humans have been very mature um, and very experienced, and they know that they've got to turn up with their best self because they're competing with and sitting next to people who are equally as brilliant as them, but in different roles and. That becomes kind of competitive like that, right? It's very different to being told to work on something. I really like that. And actually, um, one of my questions is, how do you discover through the hiring process um, what these people are good at? Um, is this something that you, they approach you with and you kind of know their skill, uh, their strengths and skills right off the bat? Or is this a discovery process for both you and um, the, the, the potential employee? Yeah, so uh, the key thing is we don't have any employees. Um, we're all, uh, we're a community. We're a set of, you know, at a corporate level, we're actually a business-to-business -business network. The corporate structure is a really important part of the beginning of the humans and understanding how to navigate 1099 and IR35. And I employed two of the best lawyers in the world in gig economy contracting to help me figure that out uh, alongside a, um, a corporate structure um, specialist um, so that we could have, an organization that acted like an agency, but actually we were all independent um, com companies um, so that we can work on long-term programs and not be paused. You know, the ability, you've got to think about the attraction for the humans. It's not just about the community, which I believe is a great attraction, having like-minded people to to spin ideas off, you know, working on your own as, a, as an independent. The walls can get very white very quickly if you don't have like-minded people to share your ideas with and being creative people we all like to share our ideas and discuss them so a big draw to the humans is the community but certainly from the marketplace perspective you know making sure that we could contract long term with our clients like intel or or logitech or or google you know and have those programs run without any breaks because of contracting laws or or, or taxation laws you know and so you know i thought about that uh, long and hard before i put it all together in terms of the selection of the humans that that join the community um, originally, obviously, it was myself um, calling a bunch of people that I thought were really clever and I'd really respected and, and encouraged them to come join me on this, um, on this little experiment. But as time has gone by, I've built a membership team of five, um, you know, and little things that I've done along the way 
um, one of the goals I set myself in terms of varieties of human beings was male to female. So we have equal male to female distribution um, in terms of the community. And with that comes natural um, variety like ethnicity or sexuality or whatever it might be alongside the skill set. So, you know, being being a you know a real group of humans in that sense and 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 being able to understand you know from all sorts of different backgrounds um the challenges that our clients might face but i think you know ada heloise simon and ali um the three ladies are now based in london simon and i are east coast west coast although both brits um uh, ali was in new york up until recently she just moved back to london with her family um so you know we've got a nice mix there and again they, they all come from different disciplines simon is more traditionally uh, you know royal college of art trained designer design leader he's actually decorated by the queen for his design work um, holds the highest honor in design that you can get from the queen um and in fact in design in england and ali you know ex-frog very experienced um you know multidiscipline designer heloise coming from transformation and more organizational and cultural change. Then Adder is more on the technology strategy side, but they've all got different backgrounds. Again, are learning to make sure that when we have humans who are interested in joining, uh, that they speak to the right people with their skill sets. And you know, I'm really the first port of call, um, you know, more of a, a spidey senses check from me, you know, how do I feel about them? And then they go and speak to two other humans who will vet them and, and see what they're thinking and what they're doing. And we have some criteria that you have to meet, but genuinely, Anna, a lot of the people that we have on board in the design world are kind of quite famous in their own rights. They're very well known. You know, most, I mean, I had a conversation this week with a gentleman and he said, how have you got that many people that I know all in one place? And it's kind of a little bit of that, right? You've kind of been in the industry for so long, you know who the really good people are uh, that are out there independently and uh, knowing they probably don't want to join a big network agency or or anything. Again, they maybe already built their own agency and sold it. I mean, 36 of the humans have built their own agencies and sold them at some point. You know, there's a heavy experience there. So it's a, it's a bit of a mix, Anna. Well, and I think it, there's two interesting things there uh, that I want to follow up on. One is that you have this self-selecting community uh, of essentially entrepreneurs, you know, people that are not just waiting for the work to come to them, that they've had to hustle and they've they've been through that entrepreneurial journey in addition to the creative journey and so there there, there tends to be a little bit more um they they know how to solve problems really creatively and practically but also that they they know how to get stuff done um but the other thing i wanted to follow up on is that decisioning at the lowest possible level that empowering people to make decisions rather than being very top down um, Talk to me about that, and and that seems attractive, but also how has that worked functionally? Well, I guess, you know, looking at like a holocratic environment, right? You know, we've there's no need for hierarchy. While I'm the founder, I don't call myself CEO, as an example. I have a role to play in the humans, okay? My role is predominantly in the commercial side of it and in client partnering, making sure that the teams are delivering on what we agree to deliver upon. And, and, you know, you won't see me calling myself founder and CEO in any of our proposals that we put together for clients. I, I play a role. And I think that's the same to your point about maturity. The humans know their lane. They know what they're good at. And they're very clear on what they're not good at. And that makes it very easy to construct the team. You know, that transparency, honesty is really important. You know, at the beginning, you know, um, uh, you know when we upscaled 
reasonably quickly in 2018, having won a project almost straight out of the gate of starting the company that was a you know, significant piece of work um, um, in Copenhagen for a VC um, that had acquired a couple of billion dollar acquisition. And we were in there helping them transform that company into what they wanted it to be post-acquisition. So we went in there and taught them how to fish in product design. We worked on the business model and the operating model, the technology model. To your point, because the humans um, almost, you know, this business consulting, you know, we have McKinsey, ex-McKinsey, ex-BCG, ex-IBM, ex-people in our group, growth partners that can work and operate, but also understand the importance of of doing the work itself, not just handing over a manifesto. So I think, you know, that 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 maturity and that um, ability helps the forming of the teams. You know, they know they know what each other's good at. And um, when it comes to leading a program of work, um, it's it's really a, a low level of administration. That particular gig, we had about 12 humans working on it in and out of Copenhagen on-site, off-site, um, uh, run out of the UK. And we did need a a project manager for that work because the client needed that on their side. And it's often the client that requires the project management more so than ourselves. Um, on, a, on a piece of work we did for Uber, similar time of year, uh, around the Christmas time, you know, there were six humans on that, all subject matter experts in this particular challenge around talking about the future of Uber and what they would look like 10 years from now. And, you know, no administration. They all worked and stayed in their lane. They knew bits they had to play. Some were storytellers, some were, you know, um, animators. There was just different skill sets that were required to deliver that piece of work. So it's um, it's a bit of a mix. We, we look at the, pro you know, and then if you look at the work we do for Intel, you know, again, they had an account manager, a program manager on their team. So we opposite, we, we had the same partnership on our side. It's often just matching what the client has. And, you know, um, I, I would argue that the more mature, the design practice of the organization, the less you need administrative layers in thinking about design challenges, um, the less uh, mature the design group within that organization, the more you need administration because they've got to have their check-ins and their checkpoints. The humans can be very agile in the way they work and and don't really need a lot of overhead. They don't. They just need nudging along to make sure they're getting things delivered. You know, we built a back office and an experience for the clients where we can upload materials we create to a specific area and, you know, made it easy for the clients to access that. Things that I've done in my career all the way along, making the client experience something that is enjoyable but easy to manage. And, I've, you know, I've built that same kind of system I've used historically in order for assets to be managed. But the, the administration can really be as light touch or as heavy touch as the client needs. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. Um, so how do you manage, I guess, collaboration between multiple designers on a project, especially when, you know, sometimes clients can be a little fickle, they change their mind, the, the scope might be different. How does everybody get on the same page when they're all over the world? Um, what sort of infrastructure do you have in place that makes that successful? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a couple of things, depending on the, on the obviously, the the breadth of where the humans are. Let's just, there's an hour I call human hour, which is 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, 5 p.m. GMT, right? That's where everybody can get together on the widest time zones. And I think, you know, um, Zoom has been um, a friend of ours now since we started this thing, you know, coming together on, on, on calls regularly, if not daily, and we record them all. Um, we record them all like a note-taking exercise, and we can take clips out of them and remember what each other have said. In fact, and we presented last week to a client 
and we um, we use that as a way of communicating how we built that presentation for them. We shared with them a week's worth of clips of our Zoom calls that told the story of how we came up with our ideas. So we, but you know, pre-COVID, obviously, in a traditional way, we would go to the clients offices or or an off-site and work in a workshop environment you know more traditionally as you would and i think anna you know that was a learning i had in my previous two businesses that we i had these beautiful studios that cost me a lot of money uh that really um the teams were the only people that went there and obviously that's a good reason to have a nice environment but um also you you do that because you think the client's going to come but more often than not the stuff i've worked on certainly the last 10 years has been stuff that can't leave the building um, it has to stay within the, the, you know, the confines of that corporate structure. So we often ended up being on site doing workshops. So it's a mix of both. I mean, think technology-wise, you know, we've got a WordPress instance that, you know, where we can upload materials to that's customized to the client in terms of the branding and the experience. You know, we use all sorts of different um, technologies and ways of working to get workshopping done. But the key thing is to probably 5X your communication that we did when we worked in the agency world, when we're walking around the studio and picking up ideas and listenings via osmosis or meetings after meetings after meetings. You know, our meetings are very succinct on Zoom. You know, we're very clear on what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, um, it's uh, it, it comes back to that maturity. They know what they want to do. They know what they've got to do and they know what their tasks are. And as long as you set out exactly what expected of you the next time you meet um, and they bring that along, then, the ball keeps rolling forward and I don't think the creative has really been affected if I talk to um, there's, a, there's a gentleman in the humans called Lars Bastholm he was the um, I think the original chief creative officer at AKQA um, he lives in LA now a Danish guy and he said you know this presentation we made last week how you guys have come up with that idea those ideas and that creative output in a week without ever meeting each other and being in the same room is actually really impressive and it's testament to the fact that you can do that in a remote distributed fashion if you've got in people who are willing and able and that is a key point you know when i first started working remotely after the acquisition of my last company i was kind of forced into it because that's how they operated as a you know outsourced engineering company and i kind of hated it a little bit i miss walking around the studio and flying to london or manchester or san francisco or new york and seeing all the team and going out for lunch and what have you but after a while, you know, I got used to the positives of it, of being able to see my kids growing up, right? I saw my daughter walk. I didn't see the other two walk. I saw the youngest walk actually right in front of me. That was amazing. And, I, you know, those little things like that, those moments are well worth the, um, the challenge of working in a home environment. I'm very lucky. I've got a nice office and it's, um, you know, away from the family. Um, but they, they genuinely leave me alone. And even if they don't, they come walking in. It's part of the fun of working from home. People now are seeing it through COVID. You know, how many meetings have I been on where a, a three-year-old's come running into the room or a dog or something funny's happened? It, it just adds to the reality of life. Why hide from all of that in this kind of perfect, sterilized studio environment when we can do it all at home and, and get around it? And the creativity hasn't been um, at all um, uh, held up by being in a remote environment and again it's a learning Anna and it's a real learning and and um, I'm proud to say it's one that's that works so Rob I, I wanted to swing back and I'm sure Larry and Anna you know um, have have additional questions but one of one of the things that you kind of mentioned in passing is that um, a recent client talked about how amazed he was uh, at how many ideas you were able to generate in a distributed fashion in a very short period of time. 
it sort of indicates that they, the clients may have some resistance to this idea of a distributed or remote team. And, and can you maybe compare and contrast the before and the after, and maybe even some of the additional, you'd spoken to not having overhead, but I'm assuming that there's some over, there's some invisible overhead or maybe jobs to be done to connect all of those dots on the back end as well, not just the tools. I think like anything, Trip, you know, um, the first challenge you have is you've got to um, re-educate the buyer on the ability to buy the services that I offer. You know, back in 1999 when I was selling Flash or Super Splash as it was, um, nobody was really understanding that. I had to convert the buyers into this rich interface or this rich internet experience way that could provide benefits to their business. And I spent a lot of time with those that designed Flash poorly arguing about skip intro and these ridiculous downloads that used to have to occur before you even got to content or experiences. And we didn't design our work like that. We streamed our work, you know, and, and made the experience enjoyable and uh, and got around it that way. Similarly, when I was selling service design in 2008, it wasn't as vogue as it is today. It wasn't as well known. There was probably a couple of agencies out there in the world, you know, maybe IDEO, maybe Fjord, uh, that were actually doing that kind of work. And so again, I had you know, I was I was put in the digital agency bucket when actually I wasn't a digital agency. I was a service design and product design company, which is a very different buying. And here I am again in my third business with another buyer challenge, an education that actually what you're buying is human beings. And these human beings are really, really good at what they do. And in fact, very different to your agency um, experience where they sell you a a series of roles, you wouldn't necessarily know the names or even see the pictures of those individuals versus my teams, which are named people with a, a hell of a experience in doing what they do that we can communicate in advance. I don't sell services. I sell human beings and their skills to solve a problem for you. And that is, that is, that is, um, you know, a complete sea change from where I've been to where I am today. And that's a, that's about gathering. Um, different ways of telling those stories. You know, I formed a group um, just recently, five weeks ago, called The Partners Inside the Humans, which is 25 out of the 80 or so that I have in the community that are focused on the different ways in which we tell our stories. We tell them at an industry level. Do we tell them at a, uh, at a particular challenge level? Do we tell them at a particular service level? And trying to find those different um, ways to tell that story so that people can understand how to buy it. When it comes to the actual engagement at a corporate level, ignoring everything, it's exactly the same. It's a purchase order, it's a statement of work, and a series of people are going to work on that account. So it's no different from a procurement point of view. It's just the buyer going, oh, hang on a minute, you haven't got a physical office, and you don't all go to the same space every day. And um, what do you mean you don't, you know, no, that's, that's not what you're buying here. You're buying experience, and you're buying experienced human beings who are very passionate about your particular problem. And that is a very different thing to, to trying to find someone and, and the old way. So I had a kind of a related question and probably around tools and processes because you've been doing this for a while with a lot of people. One of the things that I've noticed, and I've been in the industry long enough to kind of remember the old tools like email, <laughs> but, but there is a huge difference between the expectations when you're using email to communicate and using something like Slack, which is this synchronous communication. And what I found is that as you use these tools, Everyone is expecting real-time communication pretty much almost 24-7, especially if you have a global team. And I was wondering how much you've learned about using different types of tools and setting expectations because I know that I've had to almost pull back 
from the synchronous tools and basically turn them off at certain times and even in some cases revert my services to email because it was becoming 24-7. I was getting no other work done whatsoever. So I don't know what you've learned with the tools that you guys have been using. Yeah, an awful lot, actually. It's a very um, a very good point. It's also... Um, so everybody operates in different modes, right? Um, as you, you're right, some people love Slack and they've got multiple Slack channels and, and they kind of live on Slack and Twitter and, and you know, are in it. Um, I, I, I probably, like you, Larry, have paired back, you know, certainly on my phone, removed from it um, those synchronous tools those those tools that, that are constantly notifying you but from a um from a human's point of view there's a few little techniques and 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 things we've learned number one is um, i do a video every week for four to five minutes into the slack channel which summarizes what i've been doing so you don't have to go looking through slack and searching through the various channels we have to find the information that's actually probably the most pertinent to you if you've not been involved in a program or you've been involved in a program outside of the humans community and you're a little bit distant from it, but you still want to make sure um, you've got a check-in. So I've done that every week nearly for two years. <laughs> um, and I, I'm religious about it, even if I'm under the weather, um, you get to see my beautiful face uh, and I and I give you three or four minutes of what's going on. And um, you know that's been really powerful. I think um, another um idea that works is we have a town hall every month where all 80 or so of us come together on zoom and we have an open conversation and i moderate it and people raise their hands and they're very polite and we have a good conversation about what's going on um like all people i think that i know um you know at the beginning of covid we had virtual pubs the dumb post in you could come and join and the dial in you come to the dial in and have a pint and we'd have a chat and we do those things as well uh, but i also learned um very early on that different people want to be contacted in different ways so you know for those that are more outliers um within the humans community that have been that get caught up in longer term programs i can text them if there's an opportunity that i think really suits them so I'll bring them into the into the channel, into Slack, and say, just have a look at this. I have a marketplace uh, channel within Slack where I post weekly all the opportunities that we have that we're working on. That links to a CRM tool that I input data into that also broadcast, uh, sorry, presents itself into the WordPress instance for opportunities that are over 75% that have got detail. You know, very unlike agencies, I post a lot of detail um, quite well in advance of the of the gig being secured uh, just because you've got to attract the humans to it so a synopsis the kinds of um, services that we're going to need to provide to that client when the engagement is how long i think it might be what kind of value i think that particular program might have to it um, and you know allow the humans to sign up for those pieces of work so there's a there's a there's a variety of slack sits in the middle um, you know um, even if i call you in and you've not been in for a while um, i ask you to come to slack first and just check out um, the 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 particular statement or the problem or the challenge or the thing that I think you might find interesting, and then on top of that, when we're actually um, progressing with a client, I'll create a private channel immediately with those humans that are interested in that program of work, and we'll start to have a conversation about how we tell our story to that client of how we would solve that problem, and we come together. We'll have Zoom calls, you know, maybe two or three in that first week. Uh, uh, we have we use Google tools so we use live documents you know no more firing keynote files around or powerpoints it's all done in in google presentation we have a framework um uh, for that um and it very much is everybody can input into their decks um you know we have final edits before it goes to client and you know th those those kinds of processes really 
So one of the things that I've started to see with remote hiring with companies that are finally embracing it, they're saying, okay, we're going to have this be a remote position, but it has to be in a certain time zone. And so they've been trying to align teams basically in kind of contiguous time zones and not letting them be too far apart. Um, And I wonder if you've experienced that with the people that you have in the humans, if people tend to cluster around, you know, time zones where it's a little easier to have some of those live catch-ups or if people that are completely distributed in different time zones tend to group together because of their interest and talents. It's a bit of a mix of both, actually. So again, within the Slack channel, we have, you know, a London channel, we have a San Francisco channel, we have a, you know, middle of the country channel, as we call it, because it's not, it's a bit of bold, it's a bit of Austin, it's a bit of Chicago. Um, And, you know, they they can, that's usually around social gatherings, to be fair, when they want to get together and have a, a dinner or a beer or cook at somebody's house or whatever. That's usually what the channel's used for. Then we have other channels that are more specific to discipline. So we might have a service design channel or we might have a channel around product design or branding um, and, and those work. And then I think another one that's come out, we actually created a COVID futures group, which thir- about 35 humans are involved with looking at the patterns of COVID and, and how we might, how businesses might change and organizations might change as a result of that. So they often request uh, their own channels to be spun up to deal with whatever's going on in the world or specific new things that they've thought about so um yeah it's um and i encourage that i uh, you know we have pockets in new york and san francisco and seattle and london as you would expect then also in scandinavia but you think about you know the makeup of our industry that's quite you know in line with our industry scandinavians you know well renowned for their design and and you know i don't think any of us have ever worked on a design team without having a scandinavian who's brilliant somewhere in the mix right and um you know similarly san francisco new york london uh uh, where the main hqs are for the decision making of the kind of projects that we work on and seattle as well um so yeah well and one of the things that i find really intriguing about this is that you know, because of the model, you get a lot of birds of a feather and there's a lot of things that are kicked off internally, like new product concepts or new sort of developing IP that it's almost becomes like its own little incubator, uh, where is very different than the typical corporate environment where, you know, you have to worry about which, if you've got an idea, like, is it okay? Is the company going to steal it? Like there's a, there's a lot of layers there where the corporation is really trying to control all your time. Or if you do it on their computer, they think they, it belongs to them. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about some of those initiatives? Yeah, I think, um, so, you know, part of the, you know, the vision for the humans was that we could work on our own programs in time, that we would develop a fund off the work we've been doing for corporate clients. And we could use that fund. Obviously, the great thing, and I've always loved this about running a design company, is all of your communication looks gorgeous, you know. And then as you get experience, the organization of the communication internally becomes better as well because people have a certain way they want to work and they can help you improve that. So, um, you know, those things have have, have been really helpful. But the idea of building our own IP and doing those things, um, I think there's a much more freedom um, in the way we're organized and than I've run in my previous agency to be very rare for an employee in my agencies to come up with an idea and and suggest that's what we might do where in the humans it's natural to them you know as you said earlier they're many entrepreneurs all of them really you know they've they've decided to break away from the corporate teat and and go on their own and and with that as a chemical makeup that's very different to that of an employee 
and I think that's uh, that's an important point to note. You know, um, uh, it, it's just it's the chemical makeup of the people that sit in the group that want to work like this. You know, um, so don't get me wrong. There are some days you wake up and you think, oh, why don't I just go take a salary and be like a normal human being and and just go work in a corporate? But I think you know, I, even when I sold my company, I spent three years inside that. I went slightly bonkers not being able to you know carve my own path out and work with people that want to do the same you know we can go in different directions whenever we feel like it and we can talk about things and we can tell our story whenever we want to and we can address that at any point and as long as you've got regular meetings and you have transparency you know the amount of transparency that I provide to the humans is way above you know usually it would be a, a small board meeting or a, a senior management team that'd be aware of you know, all of the numbers and, and, and what have you. You know, I've been sharing that with the humans since day one quarterly, you know, even down to, um, uh, you know, making sure that if people have worked on a program that I give them a thank you afterwards and give them a call. I can't say that that always happened. You know, you would do it in a group gathering. It becomes, um, so yeah, it's just a different way of working. So Rob, I want to kind of be respectful of your time. Uh, I'm also getting eaten by ants and bitten by ants right here. So <laughs> I'm a, it's sort of a, a little bit motivated here. Um, but, you know, what I'm hearing is that it really does take a different kind of mindset or perspective on how to structure work and how to uh, treat uh, fellow humans, right? Um, obviously, you, through your background, I would imagine it was very intentional um, when you created Group of Humans to to create this company culture and environment. Um, what sort of advice or kind of how can people better think about developing these sort of remote companies uh, in the future? Are there resources that you used or leaned on heavily when you began creating this? Or was it kind of very experimental, go as you go, make mistakes, and then pivot from there? I think um, uh, there's a few competitor, um, I'm going to call them networks. I'm not sure they have the cultural DNA that we have in our community. Um, and I think they focus their energies on maybe a couple of stars, you know, that can go out and find work and opportunity, where I felt the best route to sol solving that problem was to get really good people on board straight away, um, before ahead of work coming in. You know, just let's work together to form this community. Let's evolve ourselves. You know, when I worked on Photoshop, I used Photoshop to design Photoshop, and it's a bit like that with the humans. I used the humans to design the humans. You know, and out of the profits that we generate, every single artifact document communication you see is being designed by a human and they've been paid for that at their full rate card i use the humans to make our business better from the profits we generate from the corporate work and and you could argue that happens in agencies as well but it's always an afterthought when you're actually spending rate card money on somebody it feels like a real piece of work it's a very again just a it's a mindset um you know that branding team that flew out to new york at the beginning they all got pulled their paid their full rate card for those three days and their and their you know their fees to fly there and what have you and similarly, you know, those people that work on my back end and on my social and on the community management and on the PR and on, you know, we have a techn technical support, you know, all those people are paid out of the profits that we generate. And, you know, um, we're, we're, I go back to that holocracy. We all know our roles and we're getting better at them. But it evolves every, it evolves every month, Anna, month in, month out. We improve and we improve. And I think that's the beauty of, of what I wanted to create was that just self-improvement as well as improving the service to the client and you know it's very difficult to do that in a bricks and mortar it becomes very staid uh, and you just keep repeating the same processes and the same problems 
um, where this world, you have no choice but to continually evolve um, uh, with what's coming next. Who, who knew we were going to get COVID and be locked down for four months? <laughs> so, Rob, I was just going to say, I'm sure the people listening are fascinated with what you've been describing and Group of Humans sounds like an amazing company. Where can they learn more and how do they figure out how to work with you if they want to move forward? So um, groupofhumans.com is obviously the website. We have a Medium um, uh, page as well. We have podcasts ourselves, um, which sit on our website. Um, I would I would highly recommend listening to some of those. Um, you know, maybe Simon Waterfalls and Ali Larius to call out too that just talk about the humans very eloquently from their point of view. Um, and, you know, uh, I get about, I want to say between 25 and 50 emails a week, people wanting to be human, which makes me smile every time I see that. Um, and um, I think that, you know, from our point of view, we are being very selective. So don't uh, lose heart if we don't respond to you in a in a time frame. We've got a lot of inbounds. We've also got a lot of people that we're really fascinated with that we want to bring in. Um, and, you know, whether it be a subject matter expert in a particular challenge or, or, or whatever it might be, you know, we're, we're looking at specific people we want to bring in. But, yeah, groupofhumans.com is a great place to start. And, um, yeah, otherwise, you know, um, you can email direct from there and, and you'll, you'll, you'll find me eventually. Rob, thank you so much. This has been really sort of, I mean, the time has flown. This has been a great conversation it's been really fascinating to learn about the humans. I think you've you've built something really special with a special group of people, and we're we're looking forward to seeing how that develops over the years, especially as companies are discovering these new the, the benefits of these new types of organizations. Um, do you guys have anything else before we we let rap, Rob go? Because I think we could go for a long time. Rob, this is really <laughs> fascinating. No, I definitely have motivations to get up because this is my eighth aunt fighting me and I'm getting <laughs> sores. So I'm ready to go, you guys. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you again, Rob. Yeah, thanks for having yeah. me, guys. Really lovely to meet you all. Cheers. Yeah, and so that's it uh, for another episode of Brave New Workforce. Um, you know, if you, Larry, do you want to tell people a little bit about where they can find us if they want to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love to have you subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. It really helps us out. If you want to learn more about Group of Humans, check it out at groupofhumans.com. And if you want to talk with us, you can figure out how to transition your organization to this brave new world that we're all living in and working in and adapting to. You can go to thebraveworkforce.com or bravenewcompanies.com. That's it for this week uh, with uh, me, Trip, uh, Anna, and Larry, uh, and uh, Anna's aunts. Uh, <laughs> Rob, thank you for joining us. And uh, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, better days are ahead. <laughs>